sometimes it's easy to check out uh, like mentally when you realize it doesn't apply uh, currently to your situation. And, and I just encourage you and I plead with you, please don't check out. Because chances are many of you at some point in your life are going to be a parent, are going to have a kid. And here's what happens, and it happens to all of us, and those of us who have kids understand this. Most of us never prepared for parenting until it was right in our face, and we start to, you know, because we're need-based learners, right? We, we learn on a need-to-know basis, and so we're like, I don't really need to know this right yet, but this is one of those series where instead of reacting in the moment to whatever family background you have, you can begin to think proactively, intentionally, what kind of family do I ultimately want to have? And when you ask that question, here's why it's so powerful. It begins to help you unpack what type of person, if you're single, you want to marry. And begin to get a picture of that. And, be, and wrestle with that rather than just simply respond or react to whatever your family background or experience was. And so I just want to ask you, if you're single, don't check all right, and so here's the question and, uh, that I want us all to, to engage with uh, this morning. And, and even if you don't have kids, I, you're like, well, how do I answer this question? Hypothetically, that's how you answer this question, hypothetically. Like, I hypothetically have kids or the kids I one day want to have. Hypothetically, how would you answer this question? All right, here's the question. What is your dream for your child? And take a second, think about it. Some of you have grown kids. You're like, I have a dream. I had a dream. Uh, some of you have no kids, and you're like, well, I've never asked that question, never thought I'd ask that question. Take a second. What is your dream? What's your desire? What's your longing for your kid? Who do you hope they become at 25? What type of person do you long for them to be when they're your age? What, what experiences do you want them to have? What relationships do you want uh, to have solid in their life? What, what things do you hope that they miss out on, that they don't experience, that you experience? What's your dream for your kid? Uh, this last week, I was away with my daughter at uh, Gold Rush Camp. She's in fourth grade, 10 years of age. Anybody done that? Like gold? Okay, thank you. So you know, uh, oh, you're a teacher, so you've done it from that you're not a teacher? Oh, you went on it personally. You don't have a fourth grader. I was like, how in the world? You did it as a kid. See, I never, we didn't have that. Um, but I went on it as a parent, which is a total different um, perspective. And so it showed up to this camp, and we went, not when our kid, when Ella's school went, because we couldn't make the timing, so we did the makeup week. So we're up at this, like, overnight camping on the ground. I'm not a camper. Uh, this is my first time Ella's ever camped in her entire life. She's like, Dad, what is this? I'm like, it's called a tent. Um, thank you very much. Uh, and so we're out doing this gold rush thing, looking in gold caves, and panning for gold is awesome. And, and I'm sitting with, you know, these parents I've never met in my entire life and at dinner, and we're just talking. And, and we're talking about spring because everyone knows spring is busy for parents and sports and you know the conversation goes up yeah I just feel like a chauffeur I'm just taking kids from one thing to the next and you know there's no space and we I, I don't actually don't even see my kid and this one dad said this 
this one dad said this, and, and I think this is probably common. He said, you, you know, you know, the best we can hope for, you can put in dreams. The best we can hope for for our kids is that they are, anybody help me out? Happy. Yeah, successful is another one too. That they're happy. The best, the best, the best we can hope for is that they're happy. And so here's why this is such an important question, and I'm going to unpack it just a little bit differently in just a second. What your dream is for your kid determines the decisions and the directions that you take with your kid. Your long-term goal, the dream for your child, determines your current reality, the decisions and the directions that you take with your kid in your present reality. And so as a result, many of us run around rushed, hurried, because we long for our kids to be happy. But have you ever asked the question? Maybe you have. Have you ever asked the question, what is God's dream for your kid? I mean, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is incredibly important because we believe that he created everything, that he, he, he loves us and knows us, and that and that if he made all that we see and know, that if he's all wise, all good, all loving, if that's truly who God is, then his dream is actually better than our dream. And you ask the question, okay, so what, what's God's dream? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the book of Ephesians, or to the, uh, wrote this letter to the group of Ephesians in the city of Ephesus. And in the very beginning, he, he unpacks God's dream. I love how he begins it, too, because dreams begin all the way back, even before, before your kids were born. And, and, he, and this is where Paul starts with God, and it starts all the way back before even the creation of the world. Listen to what, what Paul says about God's dream for your kids. And by the way, this is God's dream for you because you're his kid. Even before he made the world, and parents get this, even before you knew your child's name or knew the gender of your child, long before that moment, God, it says God loved us, and you loved that little being, even though you knew it was just a little peanut at one point, and chose us. Starting place, by the way, with God. Loved, chosen. That's your starting place with God every single time. And he said it was long before you did anything or showed up on the scene. Because it's positional. It's your position as a son and daughter of the King Most High, not because you did anything to earn it. Long before the creation of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ, and now here you get his dream. Here's his dream for you, and as a result, for your kid. It's not to be happy, but to be holy. It says to be holy, set apart. Be holy, God would say multiple times throughout his word, be holy as I am holy. This word literally means to, to be pure or set apart, to be, to be like God. It says the best version of you is to be like me. My dream is that you would, as he would say later on, imitate, copy, mimic me. Without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through 
Jesus Christ. And I love how it finishes. This is what he wanted to do. It's God's great desire. And you know it as parents. You want to give your kids the best life possible. You want to give your kids what you weren't able to have. You want to, you want to shower them and help them become who they're made to be. And God says, man, yeah, when I look at you, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to do. This gave him great pleasure. And, and so I just want to give you a little bit of the box top. And whether you believe in this Jesus thing or not, I, I want to attack, or attacks maybe a little bit of strong word. Um, uh, not attack, let's see a better word. I, I, I want to suggest, <laughs> sounds a little bit nicer, doesn't it? Maybe a different dream, or at least unpack why happiness may not be the best dream for your kid. Because we have competing dreams, and we buy into it. Culture's dream for your life, and ultimately for your kid's life, is to be happy. God's dream, God's dream for your life, God's dream for your kid's life, long before the creation of the world, when you were just a thought in the imagination of the God of the universe. It was to be like him, to be holy. And here's why this is so important. See, when your dream is to be happy for your life or for your kid's life, you sacrifice character for comfort. See, happiness is all about being comfortable now. And, and none of us want a kids that grow up and ultimately go, yeah, I want them to be comfortable or do you want a man or a woman who is of character, of sound, like who is the same person everywhere, who treats others with respect and honor, who does what's right, even when it's hard? We don't know, yeah. See, when happiness is the end goal, sacrifice character for comfort, we supplement pleasure for purpose. Because the ultimate goal in happiness is about me and my needs and pleasure. Instead of going, okay, I have a purpose on this planet that I'm going to live out and live in significance. And we settle for conformity instead of conviction. See, happiness versus holiness. And I, I think if we got to it, I, I know for me, I, I don't mean to put it in your words, ultimately for, for my kids, I long for them to be men and a woman of character who lives out conviction and fulfills their God-given purpose on this planet. And, and you, you may not buy into the whole holiness deal, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't actually get a choice. We said we're following Jesus, and to follow Jesus is to become like Jesus, to be holy. But at least evaluate your end destination, your dream. What's your dream for your kid, and does it line up with God's dream. When, when we pick holiness, by the way, this often transitions us from this protecting reality because we want to protect them from everything. We want to protect them from harm. We want to protect them from pain. We want to protect them from disappointment. We, we want to give them trophies that they didn't earn, which I've seen a lot recently in my own home. Uh, you know, we want to protect them and it transitions us from moving from simply protecting, and there is a place for protecting, to preparing them for who they're made to be. As I heard it rightly said, you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. And so, let's talk about, then, how do we apply this in the area of technology? So that's the big picture. 
competing dreams, happiness or holiness. But now let's kind of shift gears a little bit because that's going to set the stage, that conversation, that idea setting the stage for the whole series that we're covering. But, but now let's kind of look into the real nitty-gritty. We live in a world that is so different than the one many of us grew up in. And, and there's so many things coming at us so quickly. How in the world, how in the world do we raise kids who are of character, who live out their purpose with conviction in a world where they have instant access to everything and anything around them. Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why we're here this morning. Uh, not too long ago, I did an interview with um, college and young adults, and I just began to ask, I asked them this question. What do you wish your parents knew uh, about technology? You know, what is it that you wish your parents really knew all about technology. And what, I, what I'd say is their answers, these 18 to 21 year old answers will shock you and surprise you. It shocked me because it's so counterintuitive to what they are, say and do when they're especially teenagers. And yet looking back, and this is the generation, the real first generation that grew up in a world that was all tech. That was their, their whole life. They never didn't understand that there wasn't a internet. Probably wasn't a, there's so many, uh, you know, double negatives in that sentence. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is that generation. Listen to what they said. They said, I wish they knew how much I actually needed them. Hmm. It's interesting because in the teenage years, they tell you how much they don't need you. I wish they knew that when they set boundaries, it makes me feel loved. It's 18 to 20-year-olds, 20 21-year-olds talking about what they wish their parents, think about this, what they wish their parents knew. Because boundaries provides a sense of security, safety, love. I wish I had open and honest communication with my dad or mom. <laughs> and you're going, no, no, they don't. Because when I ask them, how are you doing? They say, fine. And then they say, leave me alone. And yet the hunger of the soul is when they look back, I wish I could have talked to you about stuff. I, I wish they knew uh, it's not the same as it was when they were a kid. That the world's changed that, that the same old stuff doesn't apply the same ways. I, I wish they just didn't ignore my use of the internet. Uh, some students wrote it had this sense of feeling alone or feeling abandoned. I wish I didn't have unlimited, unmonitored access to the internet. Now think about this. At 18 to 21 years of age, you're beginning to experience the full force of consequences of that world, of being just unlimited, unmonitored access. I wish, I wish we had real time as a family with no technology, that we'd unplug, that we'd actually spend time together. What kids wish their parents knew about parenting and technology. It's different. It's counterintuitive to what we see in how they behave in their teenage years. So, how do we move forward in this world? How do we begin to, to engage what they need and not just what they say they want? How do we help raise kids that 
aren't just happy, but, but holy, that experience God's best for them in such a tech-saturated world. At first, I think we need to unpack, you know, kind of what parents need to know in today's tech world. And, and what I tried to do is just put it in big principles that, that wouldn't change with the changing technology, because technology is changing like every second. It's so fast, and it just is speeding up. And so we need a couple principles or a couple things that are, are timeless that help us understand or unpack uh, this world. The first thing parents need to know is the landscape is constantly changing. And, and here's, I, I've taught this before, but as more, I, I did this whole, this part with my dad in his parenting series, but the last time I did it was in North Carolina. And I gotta tell you, they're not, uh, <laughs> outside the Silicon Valley, not just North Carolina, don't want to offend North Carolinians, um, but, but it's talking to people who aren't as tech-savvy. You guys get this already. You already understand it. You see it. You, you live in it. In fact, many of you are creating all of this constant change. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, you just kind of think about, remember when MySpace came onto the scene and then Facebook? I, I mean, it was like this whole like revolutionary world. And then now, now we just accept that boom, 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 boom. I mean, there's like 5 billion different ways to stay connected, and everyone has like 400 apps on their phone. I mean, when you think about the iPod, has anybody looked at the original iPod recently? I mean, that came out in 2004, I think it is, right? Something like that. You, huh? Two? Don't, don't confuse me with the facts. Um, okay, so, so, so 14 years ago. It looks so archaic and so behind the times. And, and think about this. Job's big estimation was, what, you could hold a thousand songs in your pocket? And now you kind of laugh at that. You're like, a thousand songs? Shoot, I Pandora. I have like a billion songs at the touch of my, my fingertip. See, the landscape's constantly changing. This is so important because here's why it's important for us as parents. No longer can, in this world, in this field, can you be an autopilot parent because it's always changing. It's always moving. You can't just set up and go, this is just how it is. If you only think about Facebook, you've missed out on Snapchat. And I got to tell you, all your teenagers are on Snapchat. And you may not even know, some of you may not even know what that is. Some of you are like, yeah, I just snapshatted that picture right over there. And okay, there you go. Uh, the landscape's constantly changing. As a result, the rules are ever changing. The rules are changing around how they interact with one another, the rules are changing in how they interpret life and relationships. Uh, let me talk about how they interact real quickly. Think about communication today. I just wrote down a couple of the things that, that are out there. I just mentioned Snapchat and where you can just take a picture and it erases at any time. Um, and it, it, it gets used for all kinds of negative things, but it's also getting used for a lot of positive ways of just communicating. I mean, uh, people want to communicate now visually more than verbally, uh, and that's different. That's new. I mean, it, this is a whole progression in how we communicate with one another. There's also uh, burn note, which is a, it's only text, but it'll delete those and whisper, which is kind of your personal venting uh, way. And uh, dating has changed, by the way, and how you uh, communicate or interact with one another. And you got meetup, and you got scout, and you got tender, and, and you have all these things on your phone. 
And you can meet up with people in this area that you don't know. You just want to meet up and you go, hey, here I am. Microblogging has become just the way of communication from Instagram to Tumblr to Twitter, Vine. It's just become a way. I, we, we, we interact in, you know, in short characters, in, in small, uh, bite-sized communication and visual pictures. How they interpret life, interpret life and relationships has changed as a result of how we interact. It's become where you ha- have become the center of the universe because it's how many likes, and we've talked about this. How you interpret life and relationships because it's always new, next, bigger, better. Is that old, you think about the old iPod, it's obsolete. New for everyone actually here. This isn't just like a teenager or my daughter at 10 who's like the tween, like new. This is everyone here. New is not just nice, it's necessary. People look at my phone, and I have like an iPhone 4, and it doesn't quite work right. I always have to talk on the speakerphone. Um, and they're like, why don't you get it? It, it does make for awkward conversations in public. But it's got a little crack down. Why don't you get a new phone? Like, it works. You got new phones when they stop working. Today, you don't get new phones when they stop working. You get new phones when they make a new phone. Because it's not just nice, it's necessary. You've got to have new, got to have next, got to have better. What this has produced, however, in our culture is deadly. Because we do it with people. And we've lost the sages in our culture, in our society, because those who can't do this with their finger, we think they're obsolete. And in some place, they might be. <laughs> just like the older generation looking at the younger generation thinks there's no hope, and in some cases, they, they might be true too. And where we'd say, you know what, I'm going to get around people who are older than me and ask them about life because I may know how to connect with people, but I don't know how to truly connect with people. You know, First uh, Chronicles uh, 12, um, 32 says this, the men of Issachar, now these were a group of David's mighty men, says these men, here's what their, their might was known for. I think it's so impar- uh, important, imperative for parents. The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It is time for parents not to turn a blind eye, not to just assume and accept everything that comes in, not to just take it and just go, this is the way the world is. We need men and women of Issachar who understand the times, who are looking at it, okay, the landscape's changing, the rules are changing. I'm not going to just go, well, I'll never get it. I'm going to take time to understand what's going on and what's going on with my kid and just ahead of my kid so then I know what to do. The landscape's changing, the rules are ever-changing, and as a result, the dangers are ever-changing and growing, and we know this. I mean, there's new addictions being put out. Unlimited access has created all kinds of problems for homes, and this is true not just for kids, this is true for us. Sexting is massive, and out of that, by the way, some of you may know this, but sextortion uh, has become a massive problem. So where this is what happens when we think about the problem of um, human trafficking in the U.S., uh, it, it's not the same 
uh, format as it happens in uh, third world or overseas and when and many kids get just ripped from their home. In the U.S., a lot of times the way it happens is, is an online predator approaches a, a teenage girl, begins to engage in this, and then gets a sexting photo, and then they use that as blackmail and says, if you don't do these things, I'll tell your parents. Human traffickers are using people who are living in their home and parents who do not know who are just walking back and forth to school. See, the dangers are ever-changing and growing. Online predators. 90% of kids ages 8 to 16 have been exposed to porn. 79% of unwarranted exposure to porn took place in the home. 20% of teens have sexted. 83% of victims to online predators met their offender face-to-face willingly. Okay. I, I hope... I've got your attention of why this is so important. Landscape changing, rules are changing, dangers are changing and growing. What they'll face in 10 years will be different than what they face today. But, good news, the basic needs and desires have not changed. Basic needs and desires for your kid and for you have not changed. They're the same as they were 5,000 years ago to they are today. First, you have a deep need and desire for community, a sense of belonging. I mean, just look at the explosion of the social uh, media reveals the deep hunger and thirst for humanity to connect. And think about God designing the family to be the place of primary connection. But so many of us are so distracted or so busy or so running from everything, they don't get that deep connection in the family, and so they look everywhere else for that deep connection. I mean, think about what, what if you just had family dinners set? You said, I don't know how many days works for you, but we try to do it almost every night in our house. Eat dinner together. It's a media-free zone. They can't get up from the table till they're excused. I know, old school, but I want to talk with my kids. And you got to learn how to talk with your kids. Deep needs and desire for significance. Every person on this planet longs to make an impact with their life. Every person on this planet, I mean, psychology reveals this, that longs to have a, a sense of significance and purpose. I mean, what if, what if the home was the place where they began to experience that? What if, what if instead of just serving, many of you serve in this church, what if you, what if you think about this? You served with your kids. What if you took them uh, you know, to places with you instead of always trying to protect them, you prepare them, and you go, hey, you know what? We're going to go to a soup kitchen. We're going to go serve here. We're going to go on a missions trip. I think a lot of the times our kids in this generation in the church aren't following Jesus is because parents, haven't passed on a faith that captures their imagination. So we pass on this flimsy, wishy-washy God instead of the God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we think, ask, or imagine. And so we're going to go and see him show up. We have a deep need and desire, and your child has a deep need and desire for significance. And finally, a deep need and desire for boundaries. Security, stability. 
It's a human need. It's an intrinsic need. In, in fact, uh, I was a high school pastor for almost 10 years, uh, and I got to see the whole gamut and sit uh, with students in pain and parents in pain. Over and over again, I saw uh, this common ha- uh, occurrence. I watched students who grew up in homes with no boundaries, with no rules. You, you know where they ended up a lot of the time? In the military. Because there's this intrinsic desire for someone to set the boundaries to say, you're safe here. It brings stability to your soul. And they didn't get it at home, so they self-inflicted it on themselves in an environment where they say, here's the boundaries. And what if, what if you began to instill that in your family and created values, character of this is who we are. This is what it means to be a part of our family. This is how we interact with others. What do parents need to know? The landscape's changing, the rules are changing, the dangers are changing but the needs have not changed. So let me spend the rest of our time and just talk about uh, maybe a game plan. What's the game plan for us? And how do we raise kids who are not just happy? And we want our kids to be happy, right? I mean, all, it's just, it's, like we said before, happiness is a great byproduct. It's just a terrible destination. We want our kids to experience happiness, but, but have them experience happiness on the road to holiness. What's the game plan? First, first, as a parent, you have to lead the way. We talked even last week. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. No one's going to do this for you. You have to lead the way. First, uh, become a student and a support. When you're thinking about uh, resources, think blogs, not books. So as you become a student, and we have to, the older you get, the more you have to become a student because the more detached you, be, you get from what's happening now. I, I've just realized, you know, I'm not that old, but I'm not quite that young anymore. And, and I, what I've realized is I'm increasingly growing detached from the 21, uh, 18 to 21 year olds. I'm not around them near as much as I used to be. And so as a result, I, I, there's a, in next season, I'm spending one day a week just going to go work on San Jose State's campus. I'm just going to kind of work there and just watch because I've got to become a student. You've got to become a student and a support. By the way, 62% of parents are unaware that their kids have access objectionable sites. 48% of 16 to 17-year-olds say their parents know little or nothing of what they do online. First, lead the way, become a student and a support. Let it be. Get help if necessary. Got to tell you, for some, this is important. For others, you live in it, you breathe in it, you understand it. Some, you need help. You need to get help. Uh, like, and thankfully, my wife and I are married. I'm more tech-savvy than she. I know many of you are more tech-savvy than me, but, but we kind of balance each other out in that. But get help. Some of you just need, need some technical help. You need someone who's know-how. We're filled with churches, uh, filled with people in our church who have all kinds of insight and understanding and make, you know, work at Google, Yahoo, Apple. I, I don't want to leave people out, but sorry if I do. Um, in this church. 
But here's, by the way, but in leading the way and getting help, you cannot lead your kids to a place you have not been. And if you are currently stuck online looking at porn, get help. Lead the way for your family. You cannot lead your kids to a place you have not been. And you can't call them to something you're not going to do yourself. Do not live a double standard life. It will kill your kids. I got to tell you, I did not have a perfect dad. I love my dad and I have him speak. The thing, the reason I'm in the church is he offered a compelling faith and he lived out what he preached imperfectly and honestly and brokenly and asked for forgiveness when he blew it. That is compelling to your kids. So don't gloss over and hide in the shadows and keep this secret sin over here. Get out in the public and get clean. Get help if necessary. And for some of you, for some of you, it starts today and you need to share that with someone. And that part in the college students and singles and young adults, you're going to prepare for your kids by doing that today. And for some of you, it's not looking at porn or stuff like that or having illicit conversations or, or obsessive flirting. Or It's just you're hooked to this thing. And you need to set boundaries for yourself and be going like, I'm, I'm texting while driving and I don't want my kids to text while driving. Well, stop it. I'm always glued to my phone and my kids, huh, what? Put it down. Get help if necessary, personally, technically, or professionally. Download monitoring filtering software today. If you don't have it for your computers, for your phones, there's resources. Uh, the very back page is a resource we use in our house, Covenant Eyes. I love it. I highly suggest it. You have to pay for it, and that's what I like about it. It costs you something, and it's better than free stuff. And be consistent. Follow up and follow through. Here's in leading the way, be consistent. In fact, you may just need to, and you, you're welcome to do it right now. You can set up a reminder, maybe a monthly reminder on your phone that just reminds you, hey, I need to be consistent. Have, have I looked into this? Have I read a blog about this recently? Am I aware of what's really going on? Lead the way. What's the game plan? Lead the way, and then have the talk often and openly. Have the talk with your kids. Uh, had a student who... Uh, We'll call him John to protect him. He's not a part of this community, part of this church. But um, John's grandma came to me. John's grandma came to me and said, my son has just an unbelievable porn problem. And he came to me for help. He had crashed four computers because of his porn problem. And we began to sit and meet. His dad who's incredibly tech-savvy, works in the industry, said nothing and did nothing. I think a lot of the times we don't have the hard conversations, not because it's helpful for others, but because it's awkward for us. Or you go, you know what, I care far too much about my kid, and I may not do it perfectly the first time, but I'm going to have the conversations and talk about this often and openly. Not as a doomsday, but just as a, hey, Here's what's going on. Here's where we're at. Here's what you need to think about. 
Here's what you need to be aware of. Don't put it off. Talk about your values. Always explain why. Rules without the why are just, uh, they, they suffocate. But when, when you understand the why behind it, it brings life. I mean, think about this. Every don't from God really means I don't want you to hurt you. That's the why behind it. It's for your sake and for your good. Creating a safe environment for them to talk. Um, my wife does this better than anyone I know. Um, and partly because I live with her, I know what's going on. I don't know you that well, so you may do it well too. But I don't do this as well as she does. I mean, she's amazing at creating this incredible environment where she just asks questions, and no questions off limits. She's going to dialogue and talk, and you know, uh, whether it's about boys or, or what's happening online or, or these sort of stuff. But have consistent quality time together, whether it's daddy or mommy dates, whether it's a bedtime routine where you just go through some basic questions that you're talking about the day. Uh, maybe it's utilizing your drive time Instead of just being on your phone or them being on something, you, there's something about having a conversation, especially when they get into the teenage years, of side to side instead of face to face that is so much more powerful and much more willing to talk openly when you're side to side. Maybe fun activities. Create a safe environment for them to talk. Uh, talk about internet safety, online dangers, age-appropriate. So my kids are small, so we talk about it in, in very vague terms in their areas of, hey, when you go over to a friend's house, we don't want you on their iPad. In fact, you'll get in trouble if you go on to someone else's iPad because they don't have that at home, and it's really fun to have it there. But then we say, you know why? And we love you so much, and there's some stuff on there that could really hurt you. And there's some things on there that if you saw them, they would forever mark you, and we don't want that for you. We tell them why. And it's age appropriate. And you do whether they're, you know, five or six or 10 or 14, the conversation changes and adjusts adjust with their age. Ask questions. Ask questions. And as you ask and have that conversation, affirm your unconditional love. We go, hey, I love you. I'm for you. Because the minute you just harp down and they begin to open up and share, they're going to close down and they're going to hide from you that point forward. Know the warning signs. Most people don't know the warning signs. Here's the warning signs. If you not a noticeable change in behavior, become secretive or defensive, gets angry or obsessive, and you're like, wait a second, that's a teenager. Yeah, but you, part of it is getting to know your kids well enough, you go, okay, this is different. Something's going on. It's more than a mood swing. If the screen changes when you come in, know the warning side. Lead the way, have the talk, then keep the control. Keep the control. If you don't, your kids will. Keep, by the way, I, I, here's what I just suggest. Keep all electronics in open public places. Don't allow it to go to their rooms. Don't let them have a computer in their room. Why can't, one, it keeps the community in even when they're on their devices. No phones, no tablets, no computers in private. Almost nothing for a teenager happens good when they're alone with a device. It's probably an overstatement, but 
fairly true. Set specific rules. Maybe when they're older as a teen, set a contract. Hey, here's what we're agreeing upon. Let them be a part of the process of helping develop that contract. So you go, hey, this is kind of our family ethics, our family oath, who we want to be. And and here's what we're going to be and what we're going to do. Have them be a part of that conversation and begin to uh, write down, okay, if this doesn't happen, then this happens. Set parental controls on all your internet devices. Yeah, any, everything comes with, yeah, and you guys know this, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, many of you, every device almost today comes with internet accessibility, so what are the parental controls on your Wii? What are the parental controls on your Blu-ray player? What are the parental controls on your iPhone or tablet? And, and where you be, go through all those, and, and not all are created equal. Test it. See, like, okay, can I access this, you know, because yeah, not all of them do the same thing at the same time. Have time limits. This is crazy. 13 to 18-year-olds spend an average of more than 72 hours a week glued to a screen. That's insane. But that's allowed. You get what you create or what you allow. That is allowed. Set time limits on gaming, computer, phone, tablets. I, I know one parent that does this over the summer, and, and they, uh, they do chores for screen time. And so if you want to like watch a, a TV show that day or something, there's X amount of chores. And so that's their kind of way uh, of going about um, setting those limits. Restrictions. Nothing good happens after midnight. There's so many kids are on the phone or tablet all night long. And it's, I mean, not that they're even doing necessarily bad stuff, but it's just not good for the development of their brain. Research shows that obsessive use on uh, your screen is actually rewiring the hard, uh, your brain. You go, okay, well, time out. We don't even, this is so new. Why are we allowing this into our homes? Well, because everyone else does it. Bad excuse. Lead the way, have the talk, keep in control, know where they go. Merely checking browser history is ineffective. Far too easy to manipulate. Some of you already know that because you have. Didn't get any laughs. It must have been too convicting. When they're little, be the gate. When they're little, be the gate. When they're little, be the gate. You are their protector. No one else will do that for them. A gate determines what enters and leaves the home. As they get older, you can't be the gate, and you know that. The minute they go to school, kids have uh, phones, and, you know, one, one kid, a uh, first grader, had an iWatch, uh, Apple Watch or whatever, at school, and was just playing games. Uh, this was on our Little League team. They were talking about this, uh, and I was like, unbelievable. There's some stuff you can't control, and you realize... As they get older, you have to be guardrails. When they get older, be guardrails. Monitor accountability. A guardrail is a system that's designed to divert potential disaster. Guardrails don't keep you from fun, by the way. We often think stuff and boundaries keep us from fun. They keep us from danger and pain. Know where they go and then go where they go. Check online accounts. Have all passwords. By the way, you're going like, really? Yeah, really. They're your kid. 
Now, here's what you know, and uh, a high percentage of teens have multiple Facebook accounts, one for, you know, their friends and one for their parents. But begin to go where they go. Know what's going on. If your student has face chat, why don't you go and, and do a face, or face chat or Snapchat, I mean. <laughs> like, hey, I'll face chat. Actually, we could chat face to face. That would be amazing. You don't even need a screen. By the way, go where they go, have all on passwords. Uh, this is so important. In, in our house, Jenny has all our passwords. I don't know it. And I don't want to know it. And, I, and I'll tell you what, why this is so important to me and why I think it's so important that we talk about it and that you think about it is my own story. See, Late junior high, early high school years, we got our first computer in the house and had the cool AOL dial-up. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. It was all the way in the back bedroom. And I figured out, as a ninth grader, that you could type in models' names and find pictures. It took probably 20 minutes per image, thank God. It doesn't anymore. What it did for me was from that point on, I was hooked on pornography and had an addiction and spent hours during my teenage years. Thank God. Like 17 years old. And they uh, took the computer in to get service, and the guy's like, hey, just want to let you know, there's a, there's a lot of porn on your computer. And my dad's kind of looking around the house, is it not me? And it's you. <laughs> and that was the pathway that began to open up healing. But I, I honestly don't consider myself that's past, just like good AA, I'm an addict. And so for me, in my house, I long, I long to be like Jesus. And I don't want to do anything that would ever defame his name, that would ever hurt my wife or kids. And so you just need to know, on my phone, I don't have access to a lot of stuff. And, and Jenny has the password to set the restrictions. And, and I can't download apps. And I don't think your kids should be able to either. And, and I took off Safari on here because I just don't want to have access to it. Well, you can't get online. You can't Google that. Yeah. Life goes on. Not a big deal. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't you do that? I live the heartache and pain, and I don't ever want to go back. I don't ever want to look at a woman as a piece of property. Or I want to honor them as the dignity of being made in the image of God. How about you? See, this is so important because our kids are growing up in a stage where it's not like just dial up. It's changed completely, and if we're unaware, and if we do nothing, and if we just coast by and go, well, 
I did okay, or if we're just caught up in our own stuff that we're not willing to confront it, what it does is it hurts your kids. So grow up and get real and get clean and then start leading your family. God, thanks for this morning. (laughs) I didn't mean to close that intense, God. I'm sorry, but maybe somebody needed to hear it. I pray, I pray that that this community would do family differently. And as a result, uh, it would be a beacon of light for our community and how you've designed us to be your family. God, may we operate that we're loved and chosen and beloved by you. And may we lead our families well. God, through this series, would you teach us, would you teach us, and then give us the courage to do, to apply and to lead. In Jesus' name, amen.